0: Welcome everybody to the Birth Sisters podcast. We're so excited to be recording again. Hi guys. Um, So today we're doing an episode um, about a lot of things, but going to be talking about some hospital policy things and um, we're going to do a little life update. So Annie, do you want to go ahead and start with your life update? Yeah. So um, my life update
1: is not a super fun one. but I did want to talk about it just cuz we've been sharing I mean we shared like our whole pregnancy journey and we've shared our postpartum journey a little bit on that update um last month anyway starting in August um kind of halfway through the month I started noticing that I was having a lot of intrusive thoughts and pretty intense intrusive thoughts and also some anxiety and so I um recognized it pretty quickly and I talked to Zach about it and I think I reached out to you and mom mm-hmm. and I also talked to my midwife Christina um, which it was so awesome that I like still have her as yeah. as a resource but like mostly as a friend mm-hmm. and that's just something that probably not a lot of women have if they have an OB they wouldn't text them and say like what can I do I mean they yeah. might call the office and the office has a protocol or whatever, but yeah. it's it was just so nice to reach out to my friend who yeah. also is a provider and gave me a ton of um, different things that I could try. So I mostly I wanted to get Christina's perspective on if I should start taking my placenta because I had frozen my placenta right after Ezra was born. Kind of with the plan that if I started having any postpartum anxiety or depression or whatever, Mm -hmm. that I could take it as a supplement and as like support. So I asked her what she thought and she was like, that's a great idea. And so at the beginning of September, kind of the end of August, the beginning of September, I encapsulated my placenta. All by yourself. <laughs> All by myself, which it was really cool because I don't think a lot of women get the chance to handle their placenta. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's kind of standard, at least at the births that I've attended for the provider, the midwife or whoever, to like show you your placenta and give you a at tour.
0: The home births or even the hospital? At the
1: births. hospital, they did it too. I'm pretty sure that they did it at both of the ones I've been to they just like show, this is where your baby yeah. was. Mm-hmm. This is your placenta. Here's the three vessel cord, whatever. Okay. Um, and so, but if people do, like my friends who have kept their placenta, usually they'll like send it off to yeah. someone or mm-hmm. give it to someone or pay someone to encapsulate it. And I have, we have a friend um, whose mom is, posted earlier this year and said that she encapsulated her daughter's placenta mm-hmm. and I was like I'm going to text her and see like what she did and how she did it and she was like oh it's literally so simple and so since mom has a freeze dryer mm-hmm. I was like okay we'll freeze dry it so it was really cool and I Megan helped me <laughs> a little bit she like took a video of me doing it and it was really cool just to
0: Touch it. Touch it and it. explore it and
1: yeah. dissect it. And um, so I have like a collection of all the videos of the process that I did. And I'm going to post that as a reel on my Instagram. I'm excited so for that. That'll I be know. fun to watch. I know. it's It was really fun. And it was also cool because, um, because I ended up going to the hospital postpartum. I didn't actually get to like seamless. My- I saw my placenta when it came out. Mm-hmm. But then they didn't, like, do the, they didn't give me a tour of yeah, it
0: mm-hmm.
1: before the midwives left. And when I told Christina that, she's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I forgot. I'm so sorry. But it was kind of there's There good. was a
0: lot that was Yes, going on. right, yeah.
1: right. And she, it was such an intense birth that she just forgot. And that's totally fine. They did, yeah. like, check it and make sure it was intact and stuff. Right. They just didn't show me. Yeah. which is totally fine. I don't blame them for that. But it was good to kind of come full circle and for me to work with it because it's, I don't
0: know, it's... An organ your body grew and you should know what it is. Yeah. yeah,
1: And it's it was good for me, I think, to just like kind of help process my birth to be like this. I don't know. I don't know. It was just cool for me to dissect it and um, encapsulate it. So That's I'll be awesome. sharing that. And... It has helped a ton. Like, I definitely don't feel like I'm like that all of my anxiety and intrusive thoughts have gone away, but I have felt increasingly better. (laughs) I have felt much, much better. Um, So, I've been taking that for the past few weeks. And I also have been taking ashwagandha, which is an herb. And I feel like that's helped too. That was a recommendation from Christina. And I've also been taking vitamin D, Mm. which Christina told me to do too. So it was so awesome because Christina gave me a list of like 12 things that I can do and try. And um, so I've tried those few things and they've really been helping. So if any of you listeners have struggled with or are struggling with postpartum anxiety, um, you totally can message me and I'll give you all those
0: tips that she shared with me. And you can plan for your future births to get your placenta encapsulated. Yeah. When I had my first birth, I was kind of asking the pros and cons to consuming your placenta. And my midwife just said, well, if you just get it encapsulated and you take it every day, mm-hmm. it may do nothing, but it also may help. Right. And so it was like, well, might as well yeah. do it. So,
1: yeah. And for both of my births, Mainly the reason why I didn't do it initially is because of the cost. Yeah. But now that it's free for me, like I was like, well, I should do this for all of my doula clients or whatever. I was like, I should I should offer this because it costs, I mean, the one lady who I know does it costs it costs like a couple hundred dollars. And Mm -hmm. that just I wasn't we weren't in a place to pay that both times. Um, but if I charge people like $50 $50 or yeah I don't know I don't I don't Include know it in your doula service right. or something right but yeah that's just a little bit about what I've been up to so okay. what is your life update Meg
0: well I'm glad that you're feeling better and I hope that you continue to feel better thank you um my life update is that we moved again again yeah um so we moved Um, From our house into the bus at the end of May, and then we're in the bus all summer at my parents' farm, and now we are back in Utah Valley, still in the bus, um, but just closer to school for Adam, Mm -hmm. and it was actually, like, the easiest move I've ever experienced. Because we just moved our whole house. Right. And, I mean, we had a couple things in storage that I pulled out and a couple things... Like, that were in the bus that I put away into storage. And so, I just basically moved, like, a couple boxes. Wow. And then we just moved the whole house. and so awesome. It is, like, a little bit stressful to move the bus because you don't want anything breaking. Yeah. and Like, as you're moving your house. Right. Um, But our move was, like, uneventful, which is best case scenario. Like, we didn't have any issues on the road. And it was, like, a... Like took an hour, wow, and then we were just there. That's so so, sweet. Yeah, it's been nice, except for at the farm, it had been like very low seventies, mid sixties weather-wise, because it's higher in elevation. Mm -hmm. Um, but here in here in Utah Valley, it's been getting up into the eighties, mid eighties. So it's been quite warm in the bus. Oh my gosh, really? Um, spend the morning in the bus um, when it's still cool, and then we go outside and play mm. or go over to grandma's house to oh, okay good to hang out so it's been good good yeah. and it's been so nice to be closer like last night we just ran to costco oh. and i was like yes this is sweet and adam's commute is like 20 minutes now yeah. instead of an hour and so that's so nice yeah so that's that's my update mm, good good how's baby flory She's doing really good. Um she's starting solids. Aww. Um and I feel it's weird trying to think back to when Royal started solids yeah. because I'm like I remember I gave him things but with her it like I haven't planned the like oh I'm going to give her this part of our dinner. Right. I'm going to make this dinner so she can have some. It's just like here's I don't know. Food. It's just like here's some food like, Yeah. I think the most like the thing she's had the most is probably ice cream <laughs> because you're just like having ice cream and you're like oh she can have yeah, some and yeah. give her a little bit that's so good How has she done with the dairy of it she's been good i haven't noticed any any issues there which is okay i'm really glad that i went off of dairy and then that last month before baby led weaning i started incorporating dairy because yeah. then she was able to get some of that through the breast milk before right. getting it just like
1: Straight up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so, cool. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Let's jump into this topic. We I, we have a ton of stuff to talk about and we are passionate about this. Um, We were kind of, before we pressed record, we were kind of talking about how we want to approach this subject um, with information and with, like, obviously we're both passionate about this. But we want to um, be respectful basically Mm -hmm. in how we talk about this and one time I did like one of those anonymous Q&A things Mm -hmm. on my Instagram and somebody asked me like why do you feel comfortable speaking about hospital birth if you've never had one or if you've never been to one and my response was number one it's not a secret like hospital birth is studied and talked about and shared um, a lot and like the statistics are not secret. Like you can google anything. Right and number two now I have attended I've attended two births in the hospital um, for doula clients and it was a really big learning experience mm-hmm. and essentially all of my fears were confirmed but yeah. we will be getting into that and talking a little bit more about that. So
0: yeah the I kind of wanted to just preface by saying, like, we're giving you information, and if you think it's untrue, like, just do the research for yourself. Yeah,
1: ask us for links, because we've studied this. This isn't just us talking about our
0: opinions. This is fact. It's It's fact, also with our opinion, because, like, if you want a hospital birth, and you want to get induced, and you want a medicated birth... Like, that's your choice. Mm-hmm. We're not saying you can't or shouldn't do that. Mostly, we're trying to call attention to the options that you do have, and it doesn't yeah. have to be one way. So, that's kind of a
1: good segue. Something I've been thinking a lot about since my two doula clients gave birth in the hospital mm-hmm. and I was able to attend their hospital births. I've been thinking about this analogy and it's you kind of have to go with me you kind of have to role play a little bit because um basically what i've been thinking about is that the hospital is like a burger restaurant Mm -hmm. and you can go to the burger restaurant and order a burger you can go there and have a medicated birth yeah and they're going to be trained and prepared to give you
0: everything that you want on your burger yeah they have the ingredients to make a really good burger
1: yep they do it all day every day they're skilled they're practiced all those things. But if you go to a burger restaurant and let's say you don't want a medicated birth, you want an unmedicated birth or a physiological birth, which is kind of a big word and maybe not as common. Some people might be unfamiliar. But when I say physiological, I basically
0: mean birth as a normal biological function. Do you want to give the... Yeah. um, The definition of physiological is relating to the branch of biology that deals with the normal functions of living organisms and their parts. So if you were left to your own devices while you're giving birth, you can just, you could give birth all on your own. Right. Like it's nice to have the support and you should have support, but it's a like birth happens mm-hmm. every day for millions of years yeah. and it can just happen. That's what,
1: yeah, that's, that's what, what I mean means, when I'm yeah. saying
0: physiological.
1: So with my analogy, I kind of think like, a physiological birth is like wanting fried rice. Mm-hmm. And if you you can go, a lot of places serve fried rice. Mm-hmm. Like you could go to an Asian fusion restaurant, mm-hmm. aka a birth center, yeah. or you can go to a home birth midwife and she knows how to prepare fried rice. Yes. She knows how physiological birth works. But if you go to a hospital, if you go to a burger restaurant and order fried rice, they're not going to be able to give you exactly what you want and what you order because they're not trained and they're not skilled at that yeah. they usually make burgers right um and you might find a couple places you might find someone who says oh well, i know what fried rice is i've made that before or i've seen a video of that made mm-hmm. before um and like for example there's a burger place in Provo called burger supreme and they have rice on their menu so you could get the rice and they have eggs there so you could get a scrambled egg in it mm-hmm. But they don't have soy sauce. And so, but they have teriyaki sauce and they could serve you teriyaki sauce in yeah, your fried rice, yeah. even though that's a little bit different. And they have carrot oh, they don't have carrots, but they have bacon. They don't have peas. And like usually a fried rice has carrots and peas yeah. in it. So like all of these ingredients, quote unquote, are essentially parts of your birth plan that you want to happen that you order. And a burger restaurant, most burger restaurants just aren't going to have those type of ingredients. Yes. Yeah,
0: they can't serve you a really good fried rice that you ordered. Right. And so it's better to go to a place that specializes in physiological birth mm-hmm. to get your physiological birth. Right. Exactly. And
1: that's another part of the analogy is that we're not saying like a burger is better than
0: fried rice, right? Or that fried rice is better.
1: More better delicious. For you. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Not everybody's in the mood for fried rice all the time. Not yeah. everybody's in the mood for a burger all the time. Right. And that's okay. That's part of being human, yeah. right? Um, but if you want fried rice, it's better to choose somewhere that's not a burger restaurant.
0: Right. And
1: yeah. so that's kind of my analogy.
0: I love that. Thanks. Awesome. So that leads me into my next point that I wanted to talk about um, is like the biggest difference between a nurse midwife and a direct entry midwife because they are different like drastically Mm -hmm. and I got a question on my Instagram a while ago the question was do you know if there is a system of midwifery that can still work with the hospital Mm -hmm. and it's like kind of yes and no because if you are not high risk and you don't need a surgical professional Mm -hmm. to be over your birth an ob then you should choose a midwife yeah and if you're choosing a nurse midwife because you're not high risk that's better than just going with an ob to go with an ob right but you know it's kind of like a good better best system Mm -hmm. where yeah an ob is has Birth before in a very, you know, certain way, Mm -hmm. like they're surgical professionals Mm -hmm. and they understand surgical birth. And then a nurse midwife has probably seen some physiological births, but they are, you know, still held to hospital policy.
1: Yeah. That's mostly the thing that I think comes into play when you have a nurse midwife is they still have to follow the rules of a
0: hospital. Mm -hmm. And... So a direct entry midwife is a midwife that's, you know, in a birth center Mm -hmm. setting. Out of hospital. Out of hospital, a home birth midwife, Mm -hmm. maybe with a, you know, has her own practice. Yeah. Has studied under other direct entry midwives. Mm -hmm. They specialize in that physiological birth. Right. They specialize in the fried rice. Yeah. And yes, you could go to a nurse midwife in the hospital. But it's just not the same as, you know, maybe yeah. they're they're the in-between. Right. Between great fried rice mm-hmm. and a great burger. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that, I mean, I want, obviously, to be respectful of my two doula clients who they hired nurse midwives hoping that these midwives would be able to give them the physiological birth, um, but... And I know that their midwives did have good intentions, and they—they're—I met both of them. They're super nice, like t- totally great people. But they, because of the location that my doula clients gave birth at, they were required to say and do certain things. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, probably the majority of the births that those midwives—I don't know for sure because I didn't ask them. They weren't my provider. I was just witnessing them, right? Yeah. But I would say that the majority of their births aren't physiological because of where they practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So if your clients wanted physiological births, what were the factors that went into them choosing to birth at the hospital instead of with a direct entry midwife? Yeah.
1: Well, one of them I know is because her husband was really worried And didn't know the statistics uh, surrounding hospital birth. And that for low-risk women, it's more dangerous to birth in the hospital. Um, But anyway, he wanted her to give birth in the hospital.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Which, at the end of the day, like, it's your body. You get to choose. Yeah, it's your body and, I mean, your baby with your husband. So, yeah, he gets a little say. But if you don't want to birth in the hospital, don't. Right, right.
1: So, that was one of them. And the other one chose to give birth in the hospital because of insurance because it's more expensive typically. It depends also. Yeah. Like, if she had chosen a midwife, a direct injury midwife um, out, of hospital. out of hospital, she could have ended up with a less expensive birth. Yeah. But it was just, I think it was just the paying up front that she was worried about. And yeah.
0: And if insurance can cover it, just go with the insurance. Mm-hmm the covered, yeah, the insurance covered option. Yep. But that is not a reason to choose your provider or the place where you give birth. Insurance should not be the reason. The reason why I say that insurance is
1: not a reason to deliver at the hospital, it's not a good reason to deliver at the hospital, is because from my perspective, I will always choose an out-of-hospital midwife because it's one flat rate. Yeah. right.
0: There's no hidden fees. There's no
1: hidden fees. No matter how your birth goes, she's not going to upcharge you. She's not going to say, oh, you were in labor for 36 hours. So Mm. if it's more than 24, I have this. Nope. Some midwives might do that. None that I know would because it's one flat
0: fee. If you need Pitocin like after labor if you're hemorrh- hemorrhaging or bleeding too much like i got pitocin with royal yeah. after he was delivered because i was bleeding a lot they she, she wasn't like oh that's that's 700 more dollars right. because i gave you pitocin yeah and having like different staff there mm-hmm. like having the different midwife um assistants it wasn't like more for that and right because they came back to my house for my twenty-four hour visit, I didn't get charged for that. Right, t- it was all covered. All the prenatal care, and postpartum and care, and postpartum care, and labor and delivery, all are covered all one fee. Yep, it's one rate, and the price is way worth it.
1: Yeah, because
0: oh, so worth it. With my pregnancy, with both my pregnancies, my midwife was at my fingertips. Yes, like I could text her, call her anytime. Yeah. And if I was worried about anything at all, she was there. And I didn't have to schedule yeah. an appointment. There wasn't like, I mean, I tried to respect her life. Right. I tried to text her between nine and five. Right. But if I needed to call her in the middle of the night, she would have picked up yep. and gave me the information I needed. Mm-hmm. And she came to the hospital with right. me. Right. Like, I don't know. That's direct entry midwives are more than just a care provider, they are, are your, your friend. friend. And they develop a relationship with you
1: and that is priceless yeah that relationship is priceless and if you choose to deliver in the hospital they're gonna they're gonna they're not gonna do that they do it the opposite way they charge you more for every single thing that you use every Band-Aid mm-hmm. and every ibuprofen yep. they charge you for and they're keeping track and then potentially you'll end up with a bill that's way, higher than you were expecting and you then you have to deal with that when you have a new little baby so and
0: your insurance covers some of it but then they're like you need to cover this part yeah and you didn't know how much it was to begin with and so you didn't prepare for it yeah that's and why
1: insurance is not a reason to choose to deliver in the hospital
0: another reason is because you deserve the birth experience that is safest for you and your baby yeah and you want to choose the hospital if you're in need of care from a surgical professional if you're high risk if you're high risk or you know if i don't i don't see the need for a nurse midwife i'm sorry like Uh, me either if if you're gonna choose in the hospital like if you're high risk choose an ob if you're low risk choose a direct entry midwife because she's gonna give you the safest birth for you and your baby Mm -hmm that was a little heated i know I was we a
1: little heated. kind of moving on from that um i mean it's still the same topic mostly but we wanted to talk about um some of the things that i saw in the mm-hmm. hospital yeah which um the first one and i mean and this is also just some topics that we were interested in researching mm-hmm. and talking about and we've had a lot of discussions just with each other about these topics but we want to talk about quote-unquote small pelvises Mm -hmm. the lie that many care providers use the scare tactic yeah the scare tactic of you have a small pelvis so you're not going to be able to deliver vaginally
0: yeah um so it's like an there's an actual diagnosis for like small pelvis Mm -hmm. and it's way overused it's called cephalopelvic disproportion or you know in simpler terms just you have a small pelvis Mm -hmm. and it's actually incredibly rare and difficult to diagnose because your pelvis relaxes during pregnancy because of the hormones that are in your body Mm -hmm. your whole like you get soft like yeah you get loose my feet spread you get loose yeah and so that's a like reason why it's hard to diagnose. And then also your pelvis can expand up to 30%. That's a lot. Yeah. 30% that's huge. For your bones to move yeah. and expand in labor positions that are not on your back. And yeah. so if your if your care provider is saying your pelvis is too small to birth how I want you to birth.
1: Yeah, that's basically what it comes down to. And I mean, if you really think about it, like how in the world could you look at a human body and say how op- like how big the bones are inside? Yeah. Like you don't mm-hmm. have x-ray vision. Right. That's so crazy to me that they think that they can get away with saying your bones are small yeah. without even like without feeling them, mm-hmm. without like touching them. Yeah. It's like so without taking an x-ray. And even if your pelvis is the teeniest degree smaller than the national average or whatever, Mm -hmm. so what? It's your body. It's your baby.
0: And it can expand. Yes. And it can get wider.
1: It's not a, like, fixed thing. It's not in a fixed position. Mm -hmm. Based on how you move your legs and your torso, Mm -hmm. your pelvis can be a different shape.
0: Yeah. And another reason it's hard to diagnose is that your baby's head molds as it goes through the birth canal. That's why babies are born like with soft spots for it to, you know, squish yes. and mold through the birth canal. So it's
1: also not a fixed object. Yeah.
0: So it's not a hard object going through a hard object. Yeah. It's soft. It's squishy. It's moldable. It's moldable it yeah. changes, unless you're like, have an actual bone deformity that you've, you know, dealt with through your life. Yeah.
1: Like, I know a woman who's who broke her tailbone, Mm. and it didn't heal correctly, and so it's literally blocking her birth canal. And the doctors told her, you can't have any more babies. So she ended up adopting, but that's a case where she could see the Mm x-rays that her bones were not conducive to a vaginal birth.
0: Yeah. There's, like, actual, like, one of the biggest reasons is if you've had rickets, which I don't know anybody who's had rickets. Right. I've never heard of anybody who's had rickets. Right. Because it's rare. Yes. And rickets can cause your pelvis to be deformed and, you know, too too
1: small small
0: to birth vaginally. Your body is not going to grow a baby. It can't birth.
1: Yeah. It is extremely extremely rare that your pelvis is too small for a baby to fit through
0: it's an excuse by your provider to control how you birth
1: yes because if you think about this way what are the consequences if you don't birth vaginally you'll deliver by a cesarean Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and who stands to gain from that You don't because it's a major surgery on your body.
0: Like, then you have to take care of yourself Mm -hmm. Mm post-surgery and a newborn baby.
1: Yeah. But there is someone in this situation who it's not necessarily safer for your baby. There have been statistics shown that it's more dangerous to be born by cesarean. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is one party in this situation who benefits from cesarean birth. And that's the doctor because... They make money. Mm-hmm. They make more money when you deliver by cesarean
0: because hospitals are businesses. yes, and that's just how it is. like that
1: that's the fact of the matter.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's
1: not up for debate. like the consequences your doctor doesn't face consequences. in fact, he benefits. Mm-hmm. They benefit from yeah. you not delivering vaginally yeah. so. Um, Let's talk about big babies because kind of the other side of the small pelvis coin is big baby.
0: Yeah, so there is like obviously there are concerns if you have a baby that's growing disproportionately that can happen in severe cases of gestational diabetes. Mm -hmm. So that's a scare tactic that Mm -hmm. your provider is using to say your baby's growing disproportionately, you know, if you're a hormone, hormonal, nine month pregnant mom, you- and you hear your baby's growing disproportionately, you're like, I'm going to have a deformed baby. Yeah, like, what it's that scary mean? without any further, you know, conversation about it. And right. so, um, the numbers of an actual big baby it's like if you're nine pounds and 15 ounces or more, then it's a big baby
1: considered a big baby
0: which your body can still birth Birth that physiologically an over nine pound over ten pound right even an 11 pound baby right um there's also another condition to say you have a big baby it's called macrosomia and it's a baby weighing 11 pounds or more and yeah that might be more difficult to birth i mean you know a six pound baby is gonna come out a little bit easier yeah But an 11-pound baby, you can still birth vaginally Mm -hmm. in most cases.
1: So give us the numbers because you looked up like the actual percentage of...
0: Yeah. So only 1.7% of babies are born bigger than 9 pounds and 15 ounces. And ultrasound weight measurements can be and are often off by 2 pounds in either direction. So I hear this all the time like, my doctor swore I was going to have a huge baby. My doctor swore she would be over nine pounds. Yeah. And then she was born six pounds. I heard of a girl who got induced a few weeks early because they swore her baby was going to be over nine pounds and the baby was born five pounds. <sighs> and that's ridiculous. That's unsafe. That's for lying. For force labor and to force this girl to have her baby when her body is not ready by scaring her Uh into thinking she can't do it. Because even if your baby is 9, 10, even 11 pounds, you can do it. Yeah. Like, I'm speaking with all the energy of my heart to you, (laughs) my listener. Like, you can do it. You can birth vaginally. You can birth unmedicated. You need the support to do so. You need a doula. You need a midwife who is going to support you in that endeavor. But you can do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah it's just not right and it's not fair for these providers to be doing this
0: to women mm-hmm. so that's our you know big baby Soap small box. pelvis <laughs> soapbox. um we feel really passionately about this because women are being lied to mm-hmm. women are being treated inhumanely mm-hmm. unfairly and and it's also like
1: you need to know this information And you need to feel passionately about this information because when, if you get in this situation and you're hormonal and you're so ready to be done being pregnant, when people start using these scare tactics on you,
0: you're going to fall for it because you want your baby out. I mean, pregnancy is hard. And at the end, you're like, I have to go two more weeks. I have to go one more week and I can't sleep because I'm uncomfortable and i just want to hold my baby yes. because i've been waiting so long and they tell you we can induce you in 2 days mm-hmm. we can in- we can get you scheduled to have your baby in 3 days yeah this also leads us to our next topic about pitocin i was reading for this for this episode i was reading that it is common for labor to last multiples of days when you get induced with pitocin, and pitocin is not recommended if your cervix is unripe. Mm-hmm. But again, they use scare tactics and you know the cascade of interventions which we've spoke about in a previous episode. Yeah, where they are like, well, we need to induce you, so let's start with a cervix softener, which mm-hmm. you saw this with your births. Why don't you tell us? Yeah, about that kind so-
1: of. I said at the top of the episode like all of my fears were confirmed Mm -hmm. all of my I don't know all of my opinions all of my biases about hospital birth were confirmed and I really really hoped that they wouldn't be because Mm -hmm. both of my clients were working with midwives they had talked about their birth plan before they had worked through it their midwife was like yes let's do this this is great I love this and then the day came and each of their midwives it was not the same lady it was each of their midwives found
0: different midwives different hospitals yeah
1: different pra- like different yeah. um clinics mm-hmm. came- they both found slash came up with slash brought up points that encouraged my clients to be induced i was so hopeful because I knew these midwives, I had met them before and hoped that they would be able to give my clients the birth that they wanted to support them through that. Um, And when it came to, they came to the conclusion that both of them, that each of them would go in for an induction and I'm I'm saying both of them because it happened the exact, almost the exact same way in both Mm -hmm. cases. And so that also shows me that this is just like a path that you go down that all the... It's those, a conveyor belt that yes. they put you on and they mm-hmm. sign you up for all the mm-hmm. things. All the things. But, the, I mean, when it, when they did the cervix ripeners overnight and their
0: cervix... It took over 12 hours. It takes oh, at least 12 hours. Oh, yeah.
1: Don't, don't worry that at least 12 hours is what you're getting it, yourself into at the hospital. Like, a minimum of a i don't know i don't want to say in most cases but like cervidil which is the medication that they try first to ripen your cervix is a 12-hour dose and maybe your cervix changes quicker than that but if you're 39 weeks or if your body
0: is isn't not ready, ready if your body is not ready like
1: period, yeah like- if your body isn't ready it's not going to change in sooner than 12 hours mm-hmm. There might be a couple of miracle, miracle unicorn people who are like, oh, we put the cervidil in and six hours later, I have my baby. But that's not most cases. Yeah. Anyway, they did the cervix ripener. They didn't change much. We waited around for a bit to see if labor started on its own. It didn't. And then the nurse comes in and says, I know you didn't want Pitocin, but let's just start with a half dose We'll start it super low and and they. slow. That's like low and slow. 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 Yep. And that's how they hook you. And then every 30 minutes, they come in and "Mm, you haven't changed much. Let's up it. Mm, You haven't changed much again. Maybe we should just click it
0: up. And it's. Because Pitocin is on a scale out of like 20, 20. right? And so 20 is all the way up, all the way high
1: they can turn it up but they don't like in extremely rare cases they can give you more but it's like not safe they, to give you more yeah. than 20 and milliunits so, per hour or yeah. whatever it is
0: so this half pitocin dose this half dose of pitocin it's just a way to It's just hook. a way to that's what i saw and yeah.
1: i mean I'm not speaking for every single case, but this is what I saw when I attended to hospital births. They say, "We'll just start you low and slow," but and then...
0: pitocin can't work that way. It's, right? It's not it's almost built. an all or nothing thing. Yeah, because I don't know an analogy to, but it just it doesn't work that way. I mean,
1: there might be, like I said, magical unicorn rare cases where someone's like oh they turned me up to a six and I was baby was here so quick like yeah and those are the ladies whose body are is ready for labor yeah but but that's
0: one thing is that we're talking about your body is not ready for labor and you're trying to force it you're forcing it with this pitocin and so if you're this is an analogy if you are trying to ram down a castle door with a you know a ram Uh uh-huh you're you can't just tap it no because you could tap it a hundred times a million times it's not going to dent the door right you need to ram it into the door to get the door to break down yeah and so if you are starting at a half dose of pitocin that's like tapping the door yeah and it's not going to work tapping it with a twig yeah it gets you in the hospital for longer Mm mm-hmm AKA and more money. More. Yeah. This is where I'm going with this is you're, you've are you been in the hospital at least 12 hours because of the cervidil, mm-hmm. because of the cervix ripener. You're starting on a low dose of Pitocin. So it's going to take even more hours than, yeah, and yeah, hours. hours and hours and hours. Annie went to these birds and was th- there for one of them for 60 hours.
1: 60 hours. I wasn't there the whole time because that's mm-hmm. not my role as a doula. Right. But she was there for three days. Yeah and more than anything emotionally
0: that is hard yes yes because you are going in for your induction expecting okay i'm gonna have my baby today today. or tomorrow tomorrow.
1: but then when it comes not the next day and not the next day you're like
0: what is happening yeah where's my baby i'm never going to stop emotionally so hard it's triggering yeah (laughs) and that's really hard if you are in labor and they are about to start labor if your cervix is ready if your baby is ready if your body is ready pitocin can be helpful in in
1: magical unicorn in, rare cases
0: yeah. yeah um and pitocin can be helpful in you know like hemorrhaging cases mm-hmm. which you know that's not for induction but like i have had pitocin before yeah it has been a tool in my birth tool belt yeah
1: the next kind of point that we want to talk about is um, care providers not using evidence-based practices and relying more on this is what we always do practices Um, and
0: which is not reliable like it's it's not not, science (laughs) yeah it's not science and women aren't one size fit all yeah so you can't just oh, this is what we always do for everybody right? because you need individualized care in your individual pregnancy. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And one big way that I saw this in the hospital was my client went in to be induced and they gave her the cervidil. And then um, once she was all tucked in bed with the medicine in her, um, the nurse pulls up her folder and is like, Okay, so we're going to talk about um, the hospital policies and like, here's a paper that has the risks and benefits of all the medications we might give you. And I look at the nurse and I go, oh, you really should have brought that out before you gave her the medicine. And she was like, "Ha, oh yeah. And I was like, next time, next time you can do that. Because this is just what they always do. They insert the medicine and then they bring out first of all, number one, she didn't even bring out the risk and benefit card first. She brought out the food court menu first. And I was like, ma'am, we are not worried about food. We will worry about food later. Why are you bringing up the food court before you literally talk about the risk and benefits of what you just put inside her body?
0: Yeah, that's not cool.
1: It was so lame. And I am glad that I said something because I was like, next time before you insert the medication, you need to tell her, at least hand her the card and say, yeah. here's this, read over this before I put this in you.
0: Because that is not informed consent no. to just administer medication and mm. then talk about risk and benefit. You need to know what is happening to your body. And if any of that medication is going to your baby. Yes. I had surgery a few weeks ago. Uh Uh-huh. And I didn't know about that you need to ask if things are okay while you're breastfeeding Mm -hmm. or for your baby because it goes through. And so when I was in the hospital, after I had Florence, the nurse came in and she said, okay, I'm going to give you this antibiotic because I had an infection. And my midwife goes, is that okay to have, like, she stopped her. She's like, wait, wait, wait. Is that okay for her to have while she's breastfeeding? And the nurse was like, I'll go look. And stormed out of the room. Stormed back in. Yeah, it's fine. And pushed it. Oh my gosh. And she was annoyed. It was late at night. I like...
1: Whatever. Whatever
0: was going on with her in her life. That's whatever. But then from that point on, I'm... Okay, I need to discuss medications. And if they're okay for my baby and for nursing. Yes. Or me, Whatever. And so when I had surgery, I asked about the anesthesia. Can I nurse her after I wake up from surgery? Like, is the anesthesia going to affect her? Right. And they told me the risk and benefit. And I, you know, pondered it in my own heart. Uh And I decided not to nurse her immediately after. Right. I pumped and dumped twice. Uh Uh-huh. And I you know i had to ask about that otherwise they wouldn't have said anything right
1: and so if you hadn't have known to get
0: to give your informed consent they wouldn't have yeah and same thing with my narcotic like yeah i, mean, I didn't fill my prescription but they were like this is what we usually prescribe after and i was like oh can i number one number one i don't want that number yeah. two
1: can i have it with breastfeeding no
0: you can't breastfeed your baby while you're on a narcotic <laughs> um Which seems like kind of a duh, obviously, but so... They didn't say that, They weren't like, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, we're not going to give you this. Right. So, it's... The informed consent is so important, like... And more care providers need to take that responsibility to get informed consent. And that's one of the benefits of having a doula at (laughs) your birth is to know those things know those things to be like okay okay client do you want this and here's the risk and benefit right and this nurse is going to tell us the risk and right. benefit, there you know whatever it is that's one of the benefits of having a doula is they are your you know kind of anchor they're not right. as hormonal right as, like you know so yeah and that also I mean this exact thing happened
1: at my doula client's birth I walked in and she's like, this is the medication we're going to give her. And I was like, okay, client, why did you choose that medication? And she's like, oh, I didn't know I had other options. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay, nurse, what are her other options? And her nurse was like, oh, um, I don't know. And I was like, okay, go find out. And then it's like I had to take the responsibility to make that conversation happen as the doula when the nurse should be used to having those conversations yeah. like, you came in for an induction. Here's what we normally do. Here's a different option. Here's a third option. These are the risks and benefits of each. Which do you want to choose?
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's your job. But you also shouldn't have to do that because informed consent should be a common practice. Rock solid practice. Yes. Happens every time it should. Um, but it does not. And that's unfortunate. And that's one reason we chose the midwives that we did is because they... They do that. ...practice informed consent they re- so they, well. Yeah, they get
1: informed consent every single time. They give you all
0: the options.
1: They let you ask questions and not in a way that's like, so do you have any questions? It's like, okay, so let's have a discussion about yeah. this, mm-hmm. right? Like Because uh,
0: you don't even know which questions you need to right. ask a lot of the time. Right. The next thing on... My list is that cervical exams do not indicate when the baby will come or how how fast labor will go. because at all. You, you can go from a zero to a six in twelve hours, or you can go from a zero to six in two hours.
1: or you can go from a zero to a six over the course of four weeks.
0: Yes, yes. And so when you are thirty nine weeks, if you choose an out of hospital provider will not even offer you a cervical exam until you are in labor mm-hmm. most of the time mm-hmm. and that's evidence based that's evidence based but if your ob or nurse midwife offers you a cervical exam at 39 weeks and they're like oh, you're just you're not even a one and you should <laughs> be preparing for birth like in the next week right it doesn't matter that you're just a one because you can go from a one to a 2 in 5 seconds. Yeah. Because the cervical dilation is not linear and it is not held to a certain time constraint. <laughs> you can go like it you can go from a 1 to a 4 and then back down to a 2 mm-hmm. and then up to a 6 mm-hmm. and back down to a 5. It's not linear and so cervical exams are not evidence-based and they're not going to tell you they're not some magical time watch. Nope. That they put your their fingers in you and feel and so it's not evidence-based. It, don't get scared that you're 39 weeks and you're only a one or, or only a two zero. or zero because that doesn't body... mean
1: that doesn't mean your body's not going to go into labor in the next five days. It doesn't mean your body's not going to go into labor.
0: Yeah. Like your baby will be born. Yes. It, they are going to come out and your body knows how to do that your body will was take made care of it to do it. Yeah. Your body was made to do that.
1: Yeah. It knows how to do it and it and I unfortunately saw this in my doula client as well. Her provider was like checked her 36 weeks. Mm, you're not maybe it was actually 38. I think it was further along 38 weeks. Okay, you're like out of one and then from 38 to 39 weeks, she didn't progress at all and she's like, "Crap."
0: I'm like, you're not supposed to be progressing. Suppo- your cervix is not supposed to dilate until you're until in you're labor, going into labor, because it's not. It that's not how it ris- was made. Yeah. It increases your risk of infection if your cervix opens before it's ready. That's why, if your cervix is opening, you know, 26 weeks, you go on bed rest. You do things yeah. to stop it from opening, opening because it's not supposed to until your baby is ready to be
1: born right and so from 38 to 39 weeks she didn't make any change and then from 39 to 40 weeks she only made a tiny bit of change and her provider was like sorry like that really it's really looking like you're not gonna go into the late into labor in the next couple days and i'm like so what
0: you have until like 43 weeks it's not gonna not happen yeah the baby will come out. It won't stay in there forever. And that's another scare tactic.
1: And and it's so hard because we live in this society that's so focused on numbers. We're focused on weight. We're focused on how much money you make. We're focused on like all of these numbers. But your biology doesn't go based off of numbers. Mm-hmm. Your body, your baby doesn't know, oh, once I'm this many once i'm
0: exactly 40 weeks
1: weeks. then once i'm 38 i'm gonna open this much once i'm 39 i'm like your body was not is not worried about the numbers Mm -hmm. and it's so unfortunate that we focus so much on these numbers because
0: it's not (laughs) it's not real yeah and cervical exams themselves also increase the risk of infection because you know foreign objects Mm -hmm. up close to in your body, yeah, is, you know, and a risk for infection. Another reason why cervical exams are not evidence based is because providers' hands vary in size. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your full-grown man OB, his hands checking your dilation with his the size of his fingers versus your petite twenty-six-year-old nurse is her tiny little hands yes
1: and they can't tell and i did talk about this with the nurses they train they have a little dilation um scale Mm -hmm. checker thing that they sit out there at their desks and they train and they practice how big on their hands a two is a three is and whatever um but also the what they don't train as much for is the station and so mm-hmm. one nurse told my client oh you're um minus 2 sorry like baby's not descending and then her provider came in who has a lot more experience and she's like oh i would call that a healthy like minus 1 if not more like if not further down mm-hmm. and it's just like every it's all so different and yeah. so that's why you can't use it as a marker for number 1 if labor is gonna start, and number two, how much labor is actually progressing. Yeah. You should listen to your body, not these numbers that yeah. other people are telling you.
0: Yeah. So that was a lot of, you know, passionate conversation. Yeah. Which we feel the need to tell people because it's just not talked about. Mm-hmm. That's the point of the Birth Sisters podcast. <laughs> um, and we kinda wanna end on cool it off a little bit. Yeah, cool it <laughs> off about you know your baby is a special soul mm-hmm. and birth is a transformative process mm-hmm. um you know you hear kind of it kind of seems hippie to say <laughs> you go from maidenhood to motherhood you right go from your womanhood to your motherhood and you know that sounds a little you know flowery but it's true mm-hmm. i was reading a book about th- the transformative process of birth and you know it seems flowery and hippy-dippy and maybe you're not like that but it is going to
1: change it is
0: going to change you like biologically your brain changes you like grow a new human and you grow a new organ Mm -hmm. and you know there's lots of changes but it's a transformative process and we go through that transformative process And feel all of the hormones in our bodies and feel this pain, you know, through the contractions, through the emotions that changes you. And it is too often numbed and taken away by pain medication and intervention. Mm -hmm. And it's so sad to me. It breaks my heart that women don't understand that they can have this Beautiful, I mean birth is beautiful no matter how you birth. Mm-hmm. But the transformation, the transformation through the intensity of an unmedicated birth, I'm not saying it's like the worst pain you'll ever ever feel in your life because you forget it so quickly mm-hmm. after. Mm-hmm. I mean, six months postpartum, I'm like, yeah, I could have another baby. Yeah in nine months. Okay. I'll I do could it do- tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I could do it. I could. Because and, you
1: know that you can, because you've
0: done it. Yeah. And, you know, echoing what I said, again, repeating exactly how I said earlier, you can do it. You, my listener, you can yeah. do it. And you need the support. And there is support for you out there. Yeah.
1: Hire me as your doula. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, Annie felt this in the hospital.
1: Yeah, I wanted to share this experience that I had because my first client who was delivering in the hospital. I was sitting there overnight with her for her cervix ripening and I went in with her just to sit with her and she was kind of dozing and her husband was dozing and I was trying to sleep a little bit. But I was sitting there and I looked around the room. I thought there was a baby born in this very room probably 24 hours ago. Maybe less than 24 hours, maybe a little bit more, but very recently a literal soul was brought to earth Mm -hmm. and you could feel none of it and it was so it was Mm -hmm. so heartbreaking for me because I've had a baby be born in my home and this the spirit the essence the aura the aura the vibe whatever word you want to use that presence was in our home for weeks and weeks Mm -hmm. and it made our house each time i had a child each of our different houses it made our house feel holy Mm -hmm. and sacred and special and um i have such a reverence for both of the places Mm -hmm. that i've given birth because it was it was the physical portal where our baby's souls were brought to earth Mm -hmm. And it felt so heart-wrenching for me to look around that hospital room and have no ounce of that left. And I thought, this is wrong. Like, this this is is a
0: sterile room with no
1: baby lives, no
0: feeling. And, like, if you go to, like, the mom has a baby at her home and you go into the home, I could feel it. When I came to your house, while mm-hmm. you were in labor even, mm-hmm. and the days that I visited, visited you postpartum, it was quiet, it was hush, it was warm, it just mm-hmm. feels, you know, it just feels mm-hmm. like so good, and yes, if you birth in the hospital, you may you will feel that in your recovery room, and then you take your baby home, and you're, you know, basking. You in get your, that at home. And you get yeah. that at home, but it's different when you are birthing at your house and you walk in and out of the rooms that you labored in mm-hmm. and then you birthed in and you remember this is the spot where my baby mm-hmm. was born and like i said i moved recently and the house that we were living in before we lived in the bus got demolished and when we were moving i'm gonna cry Aww. when we were moving we were moving all of our stuff out, and I looked at Adam, and I had tears in my eyes, and I was like, how can I leave this place where both of my babies were born? How can, how can they tear this down? How can they do that to uh, me? <laughs> Even though it's just, you know. It's just it's a just, place. It's just a place. It's just, you know, the construction company that's developing the right. land. Like, but they don't know my babies were born there, and... Like, I, it's, it's just a place, but, like, walking in and out of the rooms where I labored and I birthed and I held my babies for the first time and where I cuddled them for the first week's postpartum and learned how to breastfeed and change diapers uh-huh. and do the whole mom thing. Like, that house was so special to me. Aww. And my mother-in-law had a had a funny idea to, uh, get the coordinates of, so I stood in the spot Uh where I birthed, um, it was a different spot both times, so I stood in the different spots, and I, you know, got the coordinates of where I was standing with my lovely phone (laughs) that can do that, Uh and I wrote it down, and I have that, and so one day when it's a Target, or Trader Joe's, or apartment buildings, Uh or whatever, I could go and say, this is where you were born, Yeah.
1: and, I mean, we grew up driving past the house that each of us were born in and it's special. And I know that even like, even my husband knows what delivery room at the Provo hospital that he was born in because it's, it's special. Um, But all of this to say like where I, obviously wherever you choose to birth is going to be special. I just noticed that the lack of feeling in the hospital was uh, something that I do not want for myself For myself, yeah. and if Same you want here. that for you that's okay and you can also try as much as you can to bring that spirit with right, you right yeah. to bring that presence to
0: you can bring like little lights mm, and uh-huh. you can remember it and you know with the birth videos and the yeah. birth photos that can be taken you can make it a special place you can make it um, a special place it's just your personal experience in that hospital room thinking There was a different mother in here with a different baby, and I don't know her, and I don't feel her or her baby here.
1: Yeah. It's just It it was striking. It was interesting to me. Well, on that note, that's all we had to say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't planning on crying, um, but it is what it is. It is what it is. Thank you guys for listening. Um, Let us know your feedback.
1: Yeah. I just, I mean, kind of, we prefaced this at the beginning, but... I hope this episode comes to you with love. We are passionate about these things. We talk extensively Mm -hmm. about these things and these topics because we care so much and because we've had such wonderful transformative experiences and we hope that for you too. We want each of our friends and family to, and women across the world, all of our birth sisters, we want you to experience that and you deserve that.
0: Yeah, you deserve a safe, trip. transformative, lovely, powerful, powerful, empowering purse. Yes,
1: um, and that's why we do what we do, and thank you for listening. Bye.